You know what I'm surprised by? Mm-hmm. We went to a Mets game last week. Yes. Um, and I paid attention. And you paid attention. That, that was surprising on one breath. On the other breath, okay. we got a bobblehead and you displayed the bobblehead. I thought I never thought I would see it again. I did. I displayed the bobblehead mostly because I liked the little, the, uh, the Max Scherzer strikeout counter and you can actually change the number of career strikeouts he has. And I, I thought that that was downright nifty. Nick has Mets fever for those of you who couldn't put that together. Yeah, it happens. It happens this time of year when they're looking good, which means it like it, really when, the last time it happened, I guess, was 2015. 2016, they were good, too. Yeah, but... there, there was a little bit of it, but then it, it faded quick yeah. uh, for me. So um, we're in like the once every seven years period here. To, we're in the borough of Queens. The I like, center you know, of the sports world right now. I was thinking about it yesterday. I like uh, I've noticed like more and more people around my neighborhood just like wearing Mets stuff. And a lot of them, you could tell it's clearly like shirts they've owned for many years. <laughs> just like pulling whatever out of their closet to wrap it publicly. We went to a game last night and uh, it was me, my girlfriend, Raph, and our friend, Kevin. We were on the subway on the seven train headed towards mm-hmm. the game. And we were standing next to this guy and we were like- Was well, anyone else there too? Yeah, there were people on the subway, yeah. No, 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 I mean, besides Kevin. Uh, oh, oh yeah, my friend Jake too. Yeah, don't talk about him. Okay, keep oh, going. I honestly forgot. Uh, <laughs> But there was this guy wearing a Piazza shirt and we were like, wow, that looks really good. And he's like, yeah, I took it out of my closet. I've had it for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it clearly hadn't been worn out that much. It was like it looked like a giveaway shirt, too. You know what I mean? Just realize you're wearing a Yankee hat right now and I'm wearing that hat. right Wow. Now. It's wow. the Subway series within the room. Wow. I'm wearing the Yankee hat out of de- depressive state. Depression. You know what I mean? As at this point, by the time this comes out, maybe they'll have turned it around. But I'm wearing it because my hair product fell out of my hair today and it's like falling on one to one side of my head. Well, that's the other thing too. I, I got straight out of the shower and I came over here. Today I had a day off, so. Wow, you heard it here first, Andrew showers. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell by the smell in the room, but <laughs> I do indeed shower. I actually was wondering, if it might smell like fries in here because I just ate fries. No, you know, I aired it out. you know what it smells like? It smells like your, uh, your uh, I hope he listens, your roommate, Steve. Uh, oh, ordered, like wings? He ordered the buffalo wings and it smells like that, which is great. I love that mm-hmm. smell. I love the smell of fries and, and, and all fried food. I did have fried fries before I came here as well. Okay. Well, I had that and I made a beautiful pork loin. Well, but it can't be you because you showered. We just, we've been over this. So you're um, saying, you're saying that, yeah, why would it be me? I don't bake in the fries. <laughs> I would love to do that. I would love to just take like a grease bath with fries. I also had another crisis on the way over here. What happened? I, I kind of already told you about this, so this is a this is a false what happened. Okay. Um, but I forgot where I put my AirPods, and I looked for them for like oh. thirty five minutes. Turns out they were just Did you find them. Yeah, they were just deep in the couch. Wow. But I have a white couch, so little chameleon camouflage thing going on. What do you think your couch was listening to? That U two album that I'm downloads need you automatically. To laugh louder, so that everybody knows that you thought that was funny. It was. It was like kind of a. It was a. <laughs> it was a closed nose, closed mouth. <laughs> Um, I thought that's the only kind of laugh there is. You can no, you can be like vocal, but like ha, I guess. you can do that. That was speaking that was open of, mouth. <laughs> speaking of things that are mildly funny, what's the transition here? The the movie. We we have a whole segment before the movie. Remember? Damn it! <laughs> we we implemented that idea. That's right. I can introduce the podcast. Though. I'll do that. You should do that. That's good enough. Welcome to the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. My name is Andrew Oj. That's Nick Ricardo taking a sip of his straw. Uh, I was going to say star, Starbucks refresher. I was doing my best Done. to not make noise, but now that... I know, you have to draw attention to the fact. This is the gnat, this is the gnat sound of the entire ambiance of the room. Mm-hmm. We, we lost the pigeons, so now we have the... Oh, they're back. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Oh, good. Um, 
that's Nick Ricardo over there. I forget if I actually said your name or not. I think I was just... I don't know. Um, this is episode number 27 of the Cinema Chain Gang. Uh, we are completing chain number 14. This will be chain number 14, right? This will be 14. This will be 14. We are Probably. starting with Anne Heche, um, who we have talked about in detail if you've listened to the last two episodes. Since those recordings were recorded, she has since passed away. Uh, that's the last thing we'll say on it. Uh, that'll <laughs> button up the note of what yes. we've been talking about. I, I think that we just need to bring it to a conclusion. Yes. I mean, she's been dead yeah, for three to four weeks. By yeah, the time I, forgot we had, this. I forgot that was after we last recorded. Yeah. Anyway, she was in this movie called Opening Night, which we will be reviewing today. And we are going to be getting from her over to Seth Green, who, of course, has nothing to do with Anne Heche, which is what the beauty of the show is. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about, actually, there is a fun mobile game for cinephiles that, that is completely stealing our bit. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah, I know about this. Yeah, uh, which I sent it to you and you, which is concerning for the host of this podcast. You were like, it, it's too difficult for me. To yes, do. no, I couldn't do that. Yeah, which is interesting. The The idea is called Film in the Gaps. So they give you two movies. It's different than what we do because it's two yeah. movies. I like that you're taking actors. ownership now over the concept of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Listen, we're the most popular podcast that I know of personally that does this. So... The most popular one that I listened to. I sent you one. Actually, no, I sent you one that explained what it was. You didn't even try. Well, I I, because I didn't know either movie. (laughs) Fair. You know actors though. You don't have to know the movie. You just guess. Did did you even try it? So what were the movies? All right. So this one was like Mission Impossible. The Mission Impossible to Ghost Protocol and Lust Caution. All right, Lust Caution. Okay, that's a bad example. Uh, The other day there was The Holiday, and it went to like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So there's one a day, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And it starts with the so like a Pee Wee's Big Adventure was the end chain of the day before, then it starts the next chain. Oh, just like this fucking show. That okay, that I didn't know. That is oddly close to our show. Yeah, and yeah. it feels like they probably took that from us because I think we were around before Wordle, and I think this seems Wordle inspired. Doing it that way, actually, if I could re- reverse engineer the show, if we had done it with movies instead of actors, I feel like we would get like way longer chains. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. So how would we do that? So we would... I guess we would just randomly have IMDb randomize two movies and then make our way over. But that would have to be like whole seasons to get to where we needed to get. You know what I mean? No. Oh, so you ran... Mm. Yeah, I see. But yeah, you'd have to randomize two movies and then put... And then we would connect them from there. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's a false hypothesis, but... Yeah, I see. It just I seems see. like it takes me longer. Maybe I just kind of... There's, there's, a, there's like a... You have to be careful when you're playing the game, especially when... You have my brain where it's like you have to not try to connect everything to like a Marvel movie because everybody's in a Marvel movie. And when you try to bend over backwards to get to said Marvel movie to finish your chain, you miss like three or four shorter chains. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Because it's the first thing you think of. Mm -hmm. For you, it would be like, how do I not connect everything to like Goodfellas? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, to think of other things. Okay. Yeah, see, I can't. I can never do that game. Yeah. It's a good like. What's today's? It's a good brain activation. Today's was... Let's look. I got it in 10 today. I was kind of disappointed in my performance. The best performance I've had was uh, four. So I was happy with that one. See, I've been playing Weirdle, which is um, like Hurdle, but for Weird Al songs. Um, and I've been I've been doing pretty decent at that. <laughs> um, this one was Ralph Breaks the Internet. Okay. And Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So I yeah, see, I have literally no understanding. No, uh, inkling of who's in either movie except for um, Pee Wee, whose name I'm forgetting right now. Paul Rubens. I was about to say his name, and that's not the name I thought it was. What were you going to say? 
for some reason. Paul Reiser. No, for some reason I was going to say Bruno Temple. <laughs> I don't think that's a person. It's not. Oh. It's it's Juno Temple, and I guess Bruno. <laughs> yeah. So so I went. There's Brad Garrett is in Ralph Breaks the Internet. He's in A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life has John Ratzenberger, who's in every Pixar movie. So I handpicked Brave, went to Emma Thompson, then went to the movie Junior, where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant, went to Danny DeVito from there, and then Danny DeVito's in Matilda with Paul Rubens. See how many more chains that was? Matilda's in Paul... Wow. I didn't know Paul Rubens in Matilda. Yeah. I used to love Matilda. You're allowed to cheat with people's IMDb page, too. Oh. Yeah. You're still not going to play it. This takes me too much time. I'll yeah. look at it every day, but if I don't know it, I'm not going to play it. Back to our original premise. I apologize for my own behalf that I actually put us on that uh, segue because I never actually finished the chain. Uh, Anne Heche is connected. The intro. Yeah. Well, oh. uh, well the, uh, okay. the intro that explained what the chain yeah, we're, was. We're flying smooth today. Uh, Anne Heche is connected to Seth Green, who is in the movie A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which will be our review next week. And they are connected by a man named Brian Husky, who is a recognizable face, but not really like a recognizable name. Like you even told the story. I'm thrilled to be talking about him because it's the first time that I've been able to. This will make me finally remember his name because I can never remember his name. And I passed him on the street. Um, and uh, I always wanted to know who I passed, but I could never remember what I knew him from. So Brian Husky. It's hard to explain. The... The thing I know him from the best is probably Veep. Uh, he plays a guy who shows up. Leon West is his name. He shows up in like 16 episodes. He's kind of like a he's like a sharp supporting character. He's also done bit roles on a lot of things. He voices regular size Rudy on Bob's Burgers, which is a pretty big uh, side character. Uh, yeah, his TV credits are significantly more than his movie credits, but mm -hmm. we'll talk about him in a movie. Um, is it futile or futile? I wasn't sure. So, I've Googled it. They say futile in the movie, I'm Oh, they sure. do? Okay. I believe. Futile. Well, I don't think there's either. I don't... Both are correct, it says. Yeah. I think they say futile in the movie. They might. The movie we'll talk about next week. This week, we're talking about opening night. Oh, my God. Which we'll talk about in a bit, but we also have a segment called What We've Been Watching, where we're going to talk about what we've been watching. <laughs> um, there's a thread that I want to pay off as well on that, but first, let's talk about you. Maybe you're going to finish that thread for me, actually. Um, I'm not, but, uh, but I'm also excited to finish that thread. I've been watching a little show that we've talked about a little bit called Murder House Flip. I do want to talk about this. <laughs> this is We talked about this off mic quite a bit. Yeah, um, including when I texted everybody in the group chat and said you should watch it and nobody watched it. Uh, six episodes. What am I gonna watch? I'm gonna watch the Roku channel. Yeah. So uh, six episodes originally came out on a little legendary platform you may recall called Quibi. That's the other thing. It has the stench of Quibi all over yeah. it too. <laughs> I'm good. Um, it came out in little three part installments each episode. Um, now now those are uploaded as regular episodes on Roku. They just came out with a second season on the Roku channel because you can watch it for free. Quibi got one upped by CNN Plus. <laughs> like Quibi at least lasted through a summer. I don't know. I think Quibi's worse. I think Quibi's worse. Well, CNN, yeah, CNN didn't dissolve, I guess. Murder House Flip is a nonfiction home reno show and true crime show, kind of. The hosts visit homes in which people were murdered and they redo the rooms in which people were murdered so that the new owners can feel more comfortable in their house. That is the entire premise of the show is somebody was shot here and we need to make this place look nicer to get rid of the bad vibes. So I have two questions. Uh -huh. 
One, is it like famous murderers, all of them? Um, no, but season two has some a couple big ones, including a Golden State Killer victim. That is and good. and the Alfalfa murder house. Yes, Alfalfa from the Little Rascals was murdered in a home. That's sad. Yeah, he was an adult at the time, but still sad. You, oh yeah, I figured I would have heard about that if he was a kid and mm. got murdered. Yeah, they, they and they redo it. They redo the room. That feels desperate to me. By season two, we're already going to famous murder houses. Well, I no, I think that I I feel like it's like when that's a star, kind of always been the goal. It's like when a Star Wars show brings in the cameos too early. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe that's always been the goal. You know, the more the the bigger the crime is, the more it's going to weigh on the owners. This whole show, it, it's actually like it's kind of insane because it's it's really stupid and it also. Um, I would say is like borderline offensive to the actual tragedies that happen there, um, if not outright offensive or exploited, offensive or exploitative of it. Um, but there's something about it that's a little bit enjoyable. That's my second question. It kind of goes with what you were saying about the exploitation of it. Wouldn't that draw more attention to the fact that that room was the murder room? Because like you're like, oh, this room is beautifully painted purple now. Oh, <laughs> why did we? Why, yeah. <laughs> why? Why did we? Why did we paint this room purple again? Oh, right, to get rid of the murder. That <laughs> maybe at a certain point. I guess so. It kind of is. I'd say the one thing that seems kind of helpful is like there were quite a few homes in the twelve episodes that I've seen where. Um, somebody died in the shower or was cut up in a shower. And um, when they redo the bathroom, they kind of like change the layout so that you're not showering where somebody was killed. Like something like that, it seems a little bit more tangible, a little bit more practical. But other ones, you know, like they, they built a lovely backyard patio in a woman's backyard because that's where like 11 bodies were buried from, from <laughs> the former home. And it's like, we're well, having fun over this. She has a little art studio <laughs> over where a skull was found. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> Is that you grilling burgers or the smell just really <laughs> seeping up this day? But yeah, there's a couple times where, you know, there's close calls or times where they do find blood when they're ripping up carpets or something like that. In season two, they get in some experts to talk about the crime each episode or like when they like, you know, they talk to a neighbor who remembers it and saw it. So I got to say, man, if you're looking for a show to make you feel bad that you're watching it, but also just it's very mindless, but. It's worth watching because it reminds you that this is America. So this, this is, is what we make. So this is for people that like switch in between back and forth on commercial breaks between HGTV shows and then like the first 48. Yes, that's fully what it is. That was probably that was probably the elevator pitch. Yeah, it was like and it's the same two designers every time doing the thing. It's like we're going to make a beautiful home today. And then you're like five years ago. I, I I think I think I made my uh, remember you remember you like Andrew here's the link here's the link to the show yes <laughs> and I was like trust me you describing it is enough I, I don't think it would be as funny in execution it's not <laughs> is it like is it funny no um it's lighthearted most of it which is or some of it totally insensitive <laughs> or some of it is it, it, it sounds like a, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson sketch it does. Well, the thing that I was saying to you, and this is another spoiler for the show, but still worth watching. The thing that sounds like the Tim Robinson sketch is they did an episode this, this season where they redo a home where the owner said the murder happened. And then after they, uh, the room, and after they redo that room, they had a detective who, who like investigated the crime scene come over to the house. And he's like, yeah, this isn't the room where the murder happened. It happened in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> At the last minute, they were like, well, we don't have time to redo a full room, but we're just going to rearrange some stuff. <laughs> so, like, do they do they send the family out while they're working? You know what I mean? Like, do the family stay in the home? No, yeah, they send them out. 
they go on like a little trip they leave with their bags uh, yeah um they're gone for like a few days and um we're we're, we're li- I, I have way too many questions why am i asking all these questions i, I really I'm don't care thrilled to be talking about it <laughs> what where do they send them like they like they don't say they're just like enjoy your little trip they put them in a motel six <laughs> yeah i think they do um, or, or another murder happened and that's just a cascading thing of like now they have to flip the motel six but then they move them to another holiday inn where some <laughs> debutante was pushed off a railing yeah. and then they, they have to redo that area and then it's would like, you live would you live in a murder house or no? I don't think I would care that much. I mm. feel like I feel like the people I would anybody I was living with would probably care. Yeah, I I don't I would not. I was just talking to my friend about this this morning because uh he uh he told me the last year he tried to convince his wife to buy um a house on Long Island where like a murder happened because it hasn't been sold <laughs> and like they could get a really good they price. Could deal. On it. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, you know, you could also get the room redone for free. If you, if, you go, if you go this on murder, do this on murder house flip. Are you like sure it's for free? I think so. Yeah, usually those yeah. shows. It, it was Quibi budget though. Right? <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, if you looked at my college house uh, in Poughkeepsie, it was basically a murder house. Very, <laughs> very crickety. The old man who owned the sandwich shop across the street would come into our basement a lot and you would just hear noises from there. There's one time <laughs> that our friend, our aforementioned friend Jake, who might have been cut out of that intro that we talked about. But, yeah, don't talk about uh, that. He, he went upstairs to our upstairs balcony area and found one of the workers of said sandwich shop just sleeping there. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he just walked into the dark and he, the guy was just there and he was like, I don't think you're supposed to be here. Like, <laughs> Sounds like that home needs to be redone. Get those memories out. Yeah. To, so, Del- to Delano Street, if anyone wants to look it up. So what are you watching? Uh, on a very different change of pace. Uh, I think we should talk about Better Call Saul to yes. the best of our ability without without spoiling Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad as best as we can. Okay. We can talk about the premise of like where Saul's character fits into Breaking Bad, but I don't think we should talk about the actual fate of said character. Sure. Uh, yeah. Better Call Saul wrapped up its sixth season run uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was six seasons. The six seasons split into two parts. So basically, like, well, are you saying we shouldn't talk? Half. We shouldn't talk about the fate of the character that Better Call Saul gave us, or the fate that Breaking Bad gave us? Both. Oh, okay. I'm talking. Okay. We should okay. not spoil Breaking Bad. Yeah. One of our seven listeners has not seen Breaking Bad. Right. Um, but Better Call Saul follows uh, Jimmy McGill, who eventually would become Saul Goodman, who was a confidant and lawyer for Walter White uh, in Breaking Bad. Yes. Um, and helped him with his illegal dealings in that show. Uh, and it's kind of about, it's a spinoff show that kind of traces a lot of the characters that would play big parts in Breaking Bad up into that point. Um, and it also traces the downfall of Jimmy, who was this like kind of slippery, slimy guy, but also kind of had a moral center into this completely like sleazeball lawyer with no moral center whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That's the most simplified version yeah. of the Better Call Saul formula. Um, and I think it, it's a remarkable achievement in television history because I think it's one of the first prequels to be almost as successful, if not as successful, as its critically acclaimed predecessor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a it's a show that I think a lot of us assume was going to be very comedic heavy, like almost sitcom-esque in its procedural, like, oh, Saul helps this guy out of a situation. Saul helps this guy out of a situation. And oh, yeah. look at all the wacky antics of Saul Goodman. But he's a static character. He, he doesn't change. He doesn't really change during Breaking Bad. Yeah, when it was first reported that the show was coming out, it kind of, I, I think I, they, they kind of, I think they they said that, you know, where Breaking Bad is 80 drama, 80% drama and 20 comedy or, or whatever, 
we're going to flip that for, or like, you know, it'll be 60 comedy, 40 drama on Better Call Saul, uh, which it wasn't ultimately. Yeah, and they said it was going to be that. And and, um, that was also, I I was also really interested. I'm glad it wasn't, but I was interested to see if that kind of show was possible because it would be that at the time for me, I was concerned it raised the question of like, can you have a spinoff of a show where the tone of the world they're living in is so different? Like, how does that, you know, will that feel weird? Will that feel, will viewers feel betrayed? Um, but given the fact that this tone is very similar to Breaking Bad, so. Yeah, ultimately it's, they are perfect companion pieces because Vince Gilligan, the creator, and Peter Gold, the creator, um, they have fully defined what this universe looks like um, in how Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this version of Albuquerque, New Mexico it's so fully realized of that specific era. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, a, like there's there, there are no shows that look and feel like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul because of how the characters interact in such a realistic but, like, heightened exclamatory way. Like, it's a show that has these big dramatic moments and these great sweeping character arcs, but it feels like it takes place in a reality that we understand and, and connect to. Yeah. And that makes... that The writing is so incredibly strong. The acting is fantastic. I mean, if there's any doubt that Bob Odenkirk couldn't dramatically perform before this, pretty much squash those here. Um, but I think the MVP of the series for me was Rhea Seahorn, who plays Kim Wexler, his sometimes lumped, some, sometimes love interest, sometimes rival, sometimes confidant, uh, and ultimately the moral, emotional center of the show beyond what Jimmy represents. He, she yeah. kind of represents the audience entry into his world, and she is spectacular throughout the entire show. I mean, everybody is. Like, Michael McKean is great in the show in the early seasons. Uh, Michael Mando is awesome as Nacho. Uh, Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks coming back. Giancarlo Esposito coming back. Tony yeah. Dalton. Uh, phenomenal as the uh, villain of the piece, the main villain of the piece. Um, yeah. Um, are, have you heard that um, fun fact of sorts that uh, the effect that How I Met Your Mother had on... Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. No, but the era makes sense. Whatever um, you're going to say. So Jonathan Benz plays a guy named Mike Ermatrout, who also recurs from Breaking Bad. Um, and the reason that that character was introduced to Breaking Bad was because Saul Goodman, Bob Odenkirk, uh, they, they had a part for him in an episode on Breaking Bad. Um, they were going to have his character come in to just like help with the storyline. He'd already been on the show before, and he couldn't do it because he was filming an episode of How I Met Your Mother that day because he guest starred on How I Met Your Mother at one point. Who, Bob did? Bob Odenkirk did. And so they wrote a new character and that character was Mike Armantrout, Jonathan Banks. And then they liked him so much, they kept him. So if it were not for um, a guest appearance on How I Met Your Mother, we would not have had the character of Mike Armantrout. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. That's the second time in Breaking Bad history something like that has happened. Not scheduled. The first being because Aaron, Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul's yeah. Jesse Pinkman wasn't supposed to make it as far as he did. I won't yeah. say how far, but he, uh, anybody that knows anything about Breaking Bad knows that Aaron Paul was an acclaimed part of it. And um, yeah, he wasn't supposed to make it past the first season, but they loved him so much that they stuck him around. And he's so, I can't imagine the show without him. Yeah. Incredible. Um, so which show did you like more? Breaking Bad by a hair. Okay. Yeah. It's very close, though, because Better Call Saul's final few episodes are so strong in how they recontextualize what happened in Breaking Bad, mm. but also provided like an epilogue to the ripple effect of those events that was just so satisfying. Like, sure. 
like they pulled off another layer of dimension that I didn't think was necessary, but feels essential now. Yeah. Yeah, I went back and forth. We were talking about this as the episode was airing on um, in, it, Better Call Saul has its prequel series to Breaking Bad, but it also has elements of flash forward to after Breaking Bad. Um, and I was kind of going back and forth on how on whether or not I liked how much flash forward we were seeing in the last few episodes. But ultimately, I realized I like it a lot. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. The show is not like a, in my opinion, it's not like a bingey show. I think you should let things marinate every once in a while because yeah. your opinion on things might mature over time or develop over time. Yeah. And I actually, I started, I, I had fallen off of the show. So I watched seasons like all of five and all of six within a week leading up to the finale. So like, I also, I really want to watch both shows to like recontextualize how I feel about everything. Yeah. I, I've, I've been hankering to, I've been watching a lot of Breaking Bad like Hanker. clips, you know? Yeah. Maybe not like full episodes because I don't have time for that really. Um, so I'm a, as you know, a DVD box set nerd. And there I have the, it's a Breaking Bad complete series on Blu-ray comes in a barrel. Oh. One of those plastic barrels that they have of chemicals in the show. Yeah. So cool. That is cool. Yeah. I'm very excited to break into that. I wonder if they'll do something similar for Better Call Saul. Damn. If they do, I'm going to have to. I don't know what. See, I, I I like thinking about what they what the box set sh- should be for shows. Representatively, yeah, and a lot. Most of them don't have anything great, but some shows like really nail it. Be like a boxed, like ugly, trashy suit kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the like the box looks like a trashy suit, like what Saul wears, um, but inside are the discs. Now, is it like suit material or is it just a cardboard box? It's just a cardboard box. I'll see like the the the, the chemical container that I have of Breaking Bad is an actual plastic little mini chemical container. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of sites and podcasts that have are dedicated to Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul that can go deeper than we can. But I'm glad we got to talk about it for a couple minutes here. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is it is an end of a... It feels like this was like a kind of a coda to a certain era of television that Breaking Bad dominated and the Breaking Bad world dominated. Sure. Like, like that era of like Breaking Bad and Mad Men and... I guess you can extend it a little bit to the tail end of The Sopranos where it was just like prestige TV was like dominant of the discussion. And now it, it is it is now too, but there's a little bit of uh, the, the streaming blockbuster-esque element as well. Like we're, in a, we're definitely in a different era now. There's shows like Succession that still do really well. Yeah, I actually, I really kind of think in a way like almost all, presti- all TV is prestige TV now. And to it's an not extent. In, in, val- in quality, but it's all trying to be. And it all... Um, it's just something else. It, I, I like half agree with that. I think the big counterpoint to that is you have your Marvel shows and your Star Wars shows that are just trying to be like blockbusters, yeah. but on your TV. You know yeah. what I mean? And I don't That's think fair. those are aiming for like we have on tonight. There is a Lord of the Rings show premiering on Amazon um, that is certainly really? trying to be. It's the most expensive TV show of all time. Um, it is trying to be a theatrical experience at home. Um. As opposed to like something serialized and definitely television-esque storytelling expanded like Sopranos or... I don't know if this is stepping on um, maybe what you're going to talk about next week for what you're watching, but um, I, I don't know either show, but I, I know that House of the Dragon has the same theme song as Game of Thrones. It's a spinoff of Game of Thrones. That's and correct, yeah. Since we are talking about spinoffs, I feel like it's relevant here. How do you feel about that? I only saw a tweet about it, but I hate it. I think that's kind of, I, I, yeah, it's weird because they, they did a whole new animation. You know what I mean? 
Like they did a whole right, opening okay. title sequence that's new, but then it's but the same the song. It's kind of off-putting. Yeah, I agree. I hate that. Okay. Good. It well, is a phenomenal agree. theme song. So it's like, okay, I don't hate hearing this every week, but also mm-hmm. how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah. It's very like trigger, not triggering, you know what I mean? But it's like definitely trying to evoke yeah. like, oh, you remember this show? It doesn't let the thing have its own identity. Trying to undo the last season of... Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, I, I probably won't be talking about it because we're too early in. Um, okay. First two episodes, very good. Very reminiscent of what people like about Game of Thrones cool. as opposed to what happened at the end. Ready to talk about the movie? I'm ready. That was a half an hour Jeez. on other things. Wow. Roughly. Okay. That's fine. Considering what we're about to talk about. Um, we are going into our main review here of Opening Night. It's a 2016 film. I can't tell if this went to theaters or not. I think it did. It, it premiered at the Los Angeles Film Festival in June of 2016 and then was released on in June of 2017. So they thought about it for a year, whether we should just... Yeah, let it go. <laughs> but no, it, it, it is public. Uh, it was available on Netflix, which I was very happy about um, because I hate renting. Yeah, we sp- haven't had a lot of Netflix movies on the yeah. channel. And we had two back to back this week. Yeah. One a Netflix original and then this one. Um, it is directed by Isaac Rentz, um, who you said has done a lot of mu- music videos that you like, right? Yeah. I Before I was into movies, I was into music videos and I was like, Mark Webb was like my favorite director. He then did like 500 Days of Summer. He like directed a lot of my favorite music videos. Isaac Rentz directed some of my favorite music videos. Um, Manchester Orchestra, Shake It Out, which is a parody. The video itself is a parody of um, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie that I'm forgetting the name of. Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling? Yeah, it's a whole movie where he's in an arm wrestling competition. Uh, keep talking, um, I'll figure it out. And the other one, he also did a really, really one of my favorite videos. Um, Motion City Soundtrack. Her oh, word. over over the top. Over the top. There you go. And he did Motion City Soundtracks. Her words destroyed my planet is the name of the song. And it's like, I remember watching that music video. I'm thinking this might just be a perfect music video because it's the perfect blend of what I like in a music video, which is, or at least what worked best in a music video at the time that it came out, which was a performance that's just fun to watch, but also a story arc in the video that you're watching. Um, and it was just like great. I thought it was wonderful and wonderfully directed. And it seems like his target group of people he's worked with has changed quite a bit because he still directs a lot of this is his only movie. This is the only movie he's ever directed. Um, he still does music videos and stuff, but it seems like what you like in terms of music does not line up with what he does now, which is he work. He's worked with Five Seconds of Summer a lot. He's worked with the Jonas Brothers. He's worked with Katy Perry and One Republic. Well, I and- would think a lot of that, too, is just because the more experience that you have, you work with bigger name artists and bigger name artists. And at the time that, like the bands I was listening to and the bands he was working with were mostly on the, the yeah. more indie side. You came up with him. I what? You came up with him. Yeah, I did. <laughs> wow. You um, from the beginning. So this movie had a special meaning to you is what you're saying. Um, Yeah, it made a lot of sense to me that um, he would direct something like this because as we'll talk about, like there is, there's a, there's a big performance aspect to this. I, I think we could both agree that having a background in shooting performance and tying that in with actual pieces of like story arc, um, I just think it makes it makes perfect sense that like somebody who has a background in music videos would do this. So the best comp for this movie, I think is pretty obvious. I think it's Birdman. It's trying to be a straight comedy version of Birdman, which is all about a Broadway play production the 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 hysterics behind the scene of that this is about the hysterics of trying to open up a new broadway show uh it centers around topher grace's character nick he used to be a broadway singer 
who he either had the yips or he just failed and crashed and burned. He's now a production manager. He's still around the Broadway scene. He used to date Chloe, played by Alona Tal, um, who is a alternate. What's the name for an alternate? Uh, understudy. Understudy. That's it. She's the understudy for the main star of the play. Brooke. Sounds like you understudied for this episode. <laughs> That was the most Archie Bunker thing you've ever done. That was the most. <laughs> I hate anyway. that. That was terrible. Um, I, 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 you know how monkeys like do that when they're displeased? That's what I did. That was my most pea brain response to what you just said. Um, anyway, Chloe's the understudy to Brooke, played by Anne Heche. She is the star of the show in this. How would you describe the musical? It's, it's, it's like a. It's it, it it's a take on Christmas Carol sort of right, but it's yeah the musical itself is a show called One Hit Wonderland. It's kind of like a, a uh, it's like that the, a Christmas Carol format, and it's about a um, uh, singer who has you know a one hit. He is a one hit wonder, and that singer is played in the show by J C. Uh, Chazé from NSYNC, who in the movie. Is playing himself, J.C. Chazé. Yeah, it's kind of like those, like ah, ha, ha, funny, like like how Neil Patrick Harris played himself in Harold and Kumar and stuff like. It's like a satirization of his. Yeah, it's it's. But like, I think it. I don't, yeah, it's I, like it's it's the it's the this is the end joke, but with one specific character. It's yeah. like ah, oh, he's playing. And a I kind of would buy though that he would be in this movie. Right, he's uh, a, he's I mean, a, it's a hyper in the, it's, in he, it's a hyper realized version of his persona i'm yeah i'm not, yeah. Ta- I'm not talking about him being in the broadway show i'm talking about the performance that he gives in the movie i see i yeah. see yeah and yeah so like the actual show um is it's kind of like a rock of ages kind of like jukebox musical where you hear a lot of one hit wonder songs and then like it, that that whole broadway play is about the redemption arc of jc's character yeah um honestly it looks awful the show but i think that's the point it's it's a joke yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i'm not because Nick says as much, like, who the fuck wrote this? You right. know, like, and it's, uh, so basically the whole thing is Nick trying to keep the night together as opening night happens. He's got Rob Riggle's Goldmeyer screaming at him the whole time. He's got his drama with Chloe, who JC Chazé is trying to hit on her and get with her. He's a big ladies man uh, in this version of himself. He has to deal with the hysterics of Anne Hayes, who thinks she's too good for this. And then she hurts herself. And then uh, Paul Shears, Ron, gives her drugs and she starts to have a drug freak out, which again, very typical of a comedy of the 2016, 2017 eras. Um, Paul Shears in this, like I said, uh, Tay Diggs is in this. Uh, Lauren Lapkus, who I was very excited for you that was in this, but I kind of was like, eh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the cast. Uh, and that's kind of the basic premise. And I'll say, for, I'll say this, for the first 25 to 30 minutes, I was like, I was like, all right, I'll stick with this. I'll see where this is going. Mm-hmm. I, I think it does a good job at showing off the the stress of Broadway. You know what I mean? The stress of a of a big high profile production like that. It, it shows every problem that Nick has to go through every single different aspect of the show and deal with the the, the guy in the band who wants to have drugs to perform, or the or the dramatic chorus guys or the obviously the drama of the two stars that feud with each other and hate each other and Mm -hmm. the domineering manager and production person who's financing and bankrolling the whole show coming down and it it kind of it captured that anxiety well um and then it lost steam real fast for me within the last i thought i found the last hour like fluctuating between boring unfunny and un like unbearable like embarrassing you know what i mean like it, it it just it just didn't work for me yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Um, 
I don't feel that strongly about about it in that direction. I thought it was fine. I like liked it, and um, I I wasn't particularly. I like the energy of it, and I like the direction of it, and I, I I wasn't particularly just a fan of like the actual comedy of it and the written comedy of it. There's also moments in it where, while most of the performance occurs in the Broadway play itself, there are some, um, uh, there are some musical performances that are occurring like within the real world, the, the, the you know, do, yeah. that stage. It's like um, um, it's very non-committal about being a musical, in my opinion. Yeah, and so that that part, I I was maybe my least favorite part was incorporating like the singing into the backstage elements of it. Um, particularly because I feel like the characters kind of don't always want to be performing anyway, like the characters that they're playing themselves. Um, yeah, that's the worst. Like if you're going to lean into it, lean into it. But the, yeah. char- the characters are like, oh, we're singing again. And it's like, well, if you're not excited about it, why would I be excited about it? Yeah. It, well, and I think if they're not going to be excited about it, then they wouldn't do it. Nor uh, Like then why are they choosing to do it within the actual, you know, backstage reality of the show? Um, but that being said, I also, I thought it was like, in a in a way more effective, um, and more fun and less serious. Uh, so it's easier to be effective than a lot of like, um, Aaron Sorkin backstage stuff, like backstage at an SNL or backstage at a sports show. Like he, I feel like this tried to shoehorn in a lot less. It had a lot of the same elements, but they felt more kind of like effortlessly put into it in a way. And it's because maybe the stakes are lower and like they're not making a drama, but I don't know. It felt like a, a better uh, tone for um, a story like this to be set with it. See, I would, ra- I would rather have something with the Sorkin theatrics because it at least will have juicy dialogue for me to latch onto. Like, what is, like, what is this offering sure, to the table? Sure, but there's also something when you go serious with it, it becomes so easily becomes so holier than thou that um, it's really you'd need to find something like in the right. middle it's a it's a pretentious versus bland argument i think yeah pretty much yeah and that's where i really liked my least favorite part of it was just like the written comedy of it so there there i didn't have a lot of laugh out loud moments or anything like that that being said i didn't hate it but i i it just kind of you know i let it like wash over me but like so like what i fa- what i found out about the comedy as we went along was this is the kind of movie that is Random word vomit. Like, you remind me of a blank with blank. Or, like, you remind me of, like, a a snow cone with its hair down or something like that. Like, that's the insult. Like, there was was one line where she's, uh, somebody's like, oh, you sing like a deaf otter with HPV. And that was actually one of the funnier lines. And I'm like, the fuck? What does that mean? Yeah, Yeah, you're saying we're like the... The actual movie itself is kind of just a vessel for like one-liners that have nothing to do with it. Yeah, you. it's clear, and I, the, you know, the big giveaway. The big giveaway for this is, and this is a, this is kind of like a little unwritten rule I have for myself. There are exceptions to this, but if a movie ends with bloopers, it's typically not a good movie. Interesting. And there, there. Again, this is not for everything, but a lot of the bad comedies that I've seen end like that. They end with bloopers, and I think it's indicative of, one, it's a bad sign just because it's a bad sign, and two, the way that the movie was made in general, because it's a lot of the times it's outtakes and different line readings and stuff, and it's it's like... It's indicative of the fact that there was no script and they just let these guys it run comes from, yeah, they Just say the most random thing you think is funny. It comes from that thing where... Um everybody thinks they can improv a movie yeah because um they're they're all taking after um like early judd apatow movies that were master classes in it or something like that yes um, yeah exactly and this was like the tail end of that era of comedy we, right, we don't really right. do that as much anymore the yeah. scripts are more important um and i think the, the biggest offender of this is rob riggle in the whole movie who 
at at his best in other movies is is very funny but there are there are far too many times where he just he just kind of devolves into this insufferable yelling stick like man child stick i felt a lot of that in this it didn't feel the bloopers didn't feel earned to me not only i like you're saying it is interesting that it's a bad sign to have bloopers in a movie it means the movie's not good it also is kind of that it kind of feels embarrassing to see bloopers when you didn't laugh at the movie it's the whole thing of like oh they had a way better time than i did yeah Look at them laugh at each other's jokes. Yeah. But um, I would say I feel less harshly about it than you do. Not that you feel harshly, but you know. I would certainly say I did not like it. Mm-hmm. Like like firmly, not not even mixed negative, like negative. Interesting. Right. And I, 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 I think a lot of the way that it works is if you and if it ended on a better note, maybe it would have been nicer. Uh, I, thought the ending, so? I thought the ending of this was horrible. When you leave on a good note, at least you get bumped up to mixed negative, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, all right, but that, what do you mean by a okay. good note? Like, is it was the ending good? Okay. Was it a good ending? And um, is there a reason you don't think this one was good? Yeah, I thought it was awful. I thought I thought it was ridic- ridiculously outlandish and like stupid. Like, he just goes out on stage to like interrupt the entire yeah. show and profess his love for this woman, and then he just starts singing. And like, instead of his security escorting him off the stage, like everybody jumps in with him, and Rob Riggle's like like clapping on the sidelines and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, uh, well, this interrupted a massive opening night that's about to get scathing reviews and shut down the entire production. But Right. Now, do you think, because I was wondering if people in the audience in the world of this movie would think that this was part of the play. Maybe. Then they would have to go out and do it every night. It's, I, I, it's the kind of thing I wouldn't uh, like, that ending. But um, I, I, it, it felt fine for what this movie was to me like it didn't feel out of place uh the the tone that the movie set for itself and the seriousness with which it did not take itself um was i i I felt like disagree with that by the way i think it took itself far too seriously in the last 25 minutes all of a sudden in my in my opinion it turns into like a drama like he Mm, he yeah yeah so basically the the setup of the third the second act going to the third act is basically Anne haitian's injured so chloe the understudy Right, it's Chloe. Chloe, the understudy, she has to go on stage and play her role. She does a great job. She goes to JC Chazé's room. They don't hook up, but Nick acts like a little bitch and is like complaining about it. And like she <laughs> decides mid show that she's leaving Broadway. She's like, I can't do this anymore. Like mid show. So who's going to play her role? Who cares? No, nothing makes sense in this movie anyway. So he, Nick is all depressed about that. Tay Diggs comes over to him and gives like a borderline like cruel speech to him. Like you're a piece of crap. I'm tired of listening to you. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of comforting you. I'm out. It's like, okay, well that, that was like a serious scene. Okay, but sure. And then everything happens at the end and it's just melodrama. There's no comedy to it. He just goes on stage and starts singing. What yeah, are the jokes? I mean, What's funny? Like, <laughs> so, It's weird. I feel like I don't have a lot to say. And I feel like the reason I don't have a lot to say is because I don't feel like the movie did anything to offend me in the sense of to offend my sensibility. You know what I mean? Like it didn't do anything to make me be like, I don't like this. It it kind of was like this is to me. It felt like it lived up to exactly what it said it was going to do the whole time. And I mean that in neither a positive nor negative way, if that makes sense. I I think it sets us up as this like stress ball comedy and it kind of just forgets about that. It turns into a melodrama about the theatrics of Broadway. That is where a lot of stuff happens is in, uh, a lot of movies like that go wrong, I feel like, in, in that third act where there's a little bit of an arc to keep people interested in because that's just like the formula that movies have. And then in the third act, they spend a little too much time on actually uh, um, wrapping all that stuff up. Yeah. I Yes. Yeah. Um, it clearly, this clearly wasn't made for a lot of money. 
uh, if it was the opening out of this big Broadway show and they couldn't even afford a full audience. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like it's like the the auditorium is half full. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh god, you couldn't get they, they they couldn't just put some of the other cast members out out in the crowd <laughs> in normal clothes. You have experience in that uh, in that category. But, but the, yeah, <laughs> for what he's referencing, I was an audience page who wants to be a millionaire, and they would take the staff and the crew of the show and just put us in the audience when they didn't have enough people. <laughs> they could have easily done that. Get the grip after he's done lighting. Is that Topher Grace watching Topher Grace? <laughs> it's meta. I love it. CG Topher Grace. <laughs> I, I, not that they would be able to afford that if they can't afford actual extras. <laughs> Speaking of extras, you want to go back to the rehearsal for a second and talk about that second to last episode or whatever with the birthday party with all the extras that came saying happy birthday that was great that was, i like yeah. that a lot <laughs> ah, that show bro brilliant we, we talked about that a couple weeks ago but it just a brilliant wrap up to that my friend just texted me the other day and was like you are the rehearsal and i was like what do you mean he's like that show is you and then i was like what episode are you on and he goes the first one and i go all right depending on what episode like i'll either be complimented or insulted about that depending on which episode you're telling me it is um so anyway um, what did you think of J.C. Chazé? Um, I, th- I thought he was fine. I was a little surprised. I don't know much about him, but I was a little surprised to see him um, being willing to lean so much into the NSYNC thing. Yeah, there's a lot of like NSYNC jokes and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, eh. and they make a couple about other members. And I just like assume that the, the members are terse at best. They, they don't care. Um, pathetic to that. I feel like the members are uh, in my head. They're just all uh, like cold to each other in real life. You don't life. think any of them are friends? I think they're all like you know they've probably had moments where they where they had fights. <laughs> um, they're all so old now. Yeah, I don't know. But also, it, you know, it's not too surprising that they would do that because they are like you know more like on and off back as in sync now, right? So um, it fits that they would. Who are the five members of NSYNC? I let's, do you know off the top of your head before I, I look it up? Go go ahead. Yeah, there's, I, don't really, I, there's a I was fake, a big I was a big Backstreet Boys guy, but I never I was cared more about Backstreet than NSYNC. There was a there was a fake fun fact that NSYNC stands for the last letter of every member's first name. You have Justin, which is N. You have Chris, which is S. You have Joey, which is Y. You have JC, which is C. Uh, I skipped an N. And the other N would be Lance. Then they said that his real name was Lance Lanson, but it's not. I don't. I, I do not. I have no idea who Chris Kirkpatrick is. Oh, Chris Kirkpatrick! If he walked past me on the street, I would have no idea who he is. Oh, he looks like a washed-up boy band guy. Kind of looks like he, he had like an Adam Duritz vibe for a while. Yeah. The way our podcast goes, Chris Kirkpatrick is going to tragically pass away next week. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to address that. Uh, yeah, obviously Justin Timberlake, J.C. Chazé, who again didn't. I didn't really know much about him either until this. Uh, Joey Fatone, I knew, and Lance Bass, I knew. Um, well, the, the concept of putting J.C. Chazé in a movie about one-hit wonders is kind of interesting because he's not a one-hit wonder, but he is somebody who... He's a zero-hit wonder, isn't he? Well, no, because NSYNC had hits, but but he's Solo a one-project right. wonder or something, right? Like, um, He got the and credit on the poster. He kind of feels like, uh, in a little bit like, this is putting it too harshly, but the Brian Dunkelman to Justin and Lance and kind of Joey's Ryan Seacrest. The what? The Brian Dunkelman to their Ryan Seacrest. Who's Brian? Dun- oh, oh, season yes, one, yes, host of American Idol. Huh. Yeah, that's not bad. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's, he also guest starred an episode of Friends. JC Chazé, by the way, a judge on America's Best Dance Crew, which uh, I didn't know was a thing. Uh, lasted eight seasons. Ooh, in, was that Fox in this universe? <laughs> on MTV, 
eight seasons. Low Mama, <sighs> Mario Lopez hosted it, JC Chazé, and then Dominic Dietrich Sandoval. Omarion was a, used to be a judge. They revived the it with T Pain and Frankie Grande. What 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 does T Pain know about dancing? <laughs> I have a friend who um, we just found out. Uh, she thought that T Pain. She heard the name T Pain. She goes, "I don't know who that is." I mean, I know he's a member of the Lonely Island. <laughs> <laughs> what a world that is to think about that. Somebody you live your whole life thinking like, "Oh, he did one song with them," and then just bailed. Yeah. Anyway, off that point, this movie has a lot of like subplots that I just don't care about either. Like, obviously, you've got the main thing with Topher and his ex. You've got the Anne Hache going crazy thing, which I thought she was fine. Mm-hmm. Like, like her, her, her freak out was cute. Nothing hilarious about it. The worst one is Tay Diggs and this other woman, like, trying to seduce this new uh, backup dancer who is pro- bisexual, you know what I mean? And, like, yeah. came to the show and... They were just, like, trying both... to see who could get him first. Yeah, right. And it's just, like... They clearly needed to pad this out to an hour and a half, so they just added this for fifteen to twenty right. minutes and give the <laughs> give the, those characters something to do. Um, I kind of liked the brought, brought nothing to the table for me. I kind of liked the just the the like D story E story of Paul Shear's character being this like really really wanted to prove himself backstage at the show as like a, a, a just a good crew member and was like willing to do whatever. A, a little bit of Kenneth from Thirty Rock kind of vibe. Yeah, and they kind of just drop it, and he didn't like. Yeah, just, so I wish they. Were, I would have <laughs> enjoyed seeing a bit more of that. Um, if you talk about Brian Husky plays Lee, who is the who is uh he's like he gets fun friend advice from Chloe, but he's also kind of a pervert, right? Isn't that the kind of, like the joke with him? Yes. Yeah, I don't think there was much more to it than that. I don't even remember what he does in the show. Um, yeah, she well, so one of them is a medic. Is Lee the medic? Isn't one of them a medic, and then that's how. And Haish ends up taking ecstasy on accident. Or did Paul Shear just grab the wrong pills from somewhere? I want to say Paul Shear just grabbed the wrong pills. Okay. Um, what rating is this for you on Letterboxd? That was a hand motion I just did as I'm trying to figure it out. Um, I would say like a two and a half out of five. Okay. Um, I'm probably at a two. Okay. Not that That's far fair. off. Yeah. There's no, there's no real conflict here. Um, no, it's I, it's I think it's something that's worth watching once. I don't agree with that, but teach okay. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> you ready to wrap up this part of the chain? I really, I honestly, I really like the directing of it, though. But that's me. All right, let's talk Maybe about I'm that. Let's, let's open it up a little bit more. What you like the directing of it? I did. I thought it was uh, well paced for what it was. I, I thought the pacing of it underscored like the script as best as it could. Okay. I thought the script. I don't think the script was great, but I think that the movie was that script was delivered as best as possible. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll give you that, but I will say that I think in direction terms, I was very unimpressed with the staging of the different musical non sequiturs, all the backstage stuff, like the music, the no, backstage it, musical like songs. Not a lot of interesting camera work, not a lot of interesting choreography. Okay, Just to, like that's got to sizzle if you're going to really commit to it. Uh, I'm of two minds on that. I don't know. Depends because I also don't want to see a huge production if it's backstage. You know, whereas the production of the actual musical moments on the show, it's kind of meant to bring you into the world of the musical a bit. Uh, It's supposed to feel more performed. Like I hate, I hate the concept of something like Glee where the reality is so heightened in in what is supposed to be their real life. Yeah, but that's that's what this movie aspires to be. It doesn't aspire to them be like whispering and performing backstage. It aspires to be a musical within a musical, in my opinion. 
I think it doesn't know if it does or not backstage. That's a major problem. And that's, yeah. Because I don't think it does, like, in a sense. I think, I don't think it's pompous enough to want to do that. Right, so then what is it then? Is it a comedy so that just happens at like musical numbers? So that's why I like the real-life backstage musical moments of the show. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, then we agree on and that. Yeah. yeah, and I would have been more fine with them if there was a little bit more of a, a gag or an excuse as to why they were doing these moments backstage, if that makes sense. Right, like the, the big one is the women and the men trying to work together to seduce this guy, Xavier. Yeah. That's the big That's the big one that happens, if I remember correctly. And it's yeah. just kind of like, you just kind of dance a little. Yeah. And it's like kind of sexual and it's like, all right. Like if there was a character that like wanted to piss somebody off by like just performing backstage to be annoying, like as a bit or something, I would have liked that. And and I would have liked to see it be maybe a bit less produced than it was. Um, so kind of in a way, the opposite of what you're saying, but okay. it's really just the, we have different ways of dealing with the same problem. Well, we'll probably never talk about this movie ever again. So we can wait. Unless I bring it up. We can close the curtain on opening night, I think. Ooh, that's good. I think. It's okay. Just came to me. Uh, <laughs> that will do it for the first part of this chain. Are you giving me my taste my own medicine over there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That'll do for the first part of this chain. Uh, we will move with Anne Heche. Moving on. By the way, okay, one more thing. Uh, the the Paul Shear possibly killing Anne Heche uh, is a kind of a weird, morbid, timely thing in this movie. Uh, I, I was like, I kind of was like a little uncomfortable with uh, just like her storyline in general because there was a lot of... Um, substance probably like substance e abuse e and yeah easy to it, it's not hard to find the overlap in that. yeah ominous ominous and prophetic almost on yes. accident yeah um anyway uh we will move from opening night in Anne Heche using brian husky and paul shear i think we just we found out while yep. we were doing research before the movie so a little bit of a double connector uh to get to seth green in the national lampoon biopic from netflix a futile and stupid gesture which is a movie that both of us i think are gonna have a good amount to talk about with um, yes, we do. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Jay. The chain continues. Rip Papuli, and then Rip Ray, and everybody else. <laughs>